Pat adds any more people, we're going to have to take up a special collection to expand the stage. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? What a great, what a great group. You know, certainly I just thank Gary for coming and, and sharing with us this morning. He is just such a wonderful brother and so faithful. You know, we're not uh, praising God that Gary survived. We're praising God that Gary truly lived, right? And he truly lives. There is a big difference. Big difference. This morning, it is uh, the first Sunday in New Year, in the New Year. And uh, we all know what that means, right? It's time for New Year's resolutions. And so while many of you may have made some resolutions this year, uh, there is a list that comes out every year of the top 10 resolutions. And Skip, if you can put those up, we have the top 10 resolutions. Number 10, spend more time with family. Number 9, fall in love. Oh, isn't that nice? Number 8, help others in their dreams. 7, quit smoking. 6, Learn something exciting or something new. Five, staying fit and healthy. Four, enjoy life to the fullest. Number three, spend less, save more. Number two, getting organized. And the number one is lose weight. Yes, we all know that resolution. So uh, let's, let's really, before we get into the resolutions, let's start off this morning in prayer. Father God, We do thank you that you are a good, a gracious, and a loving God. We thank you, Lord, that your presence is just with us. You say to us, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be answered unto you. And so, Father, this morning, we come to you seeking you. We are knocking on the door of life, and we know, Lord, that you are going to open that door wide. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just come and you would move in a powerful way. Touch us at the very point of our need this morning. Father, I shared how there are struggles going on in our family, and I know, Lord, that there are struggles going on in others' families as well. And so, Lord, I just ask that your grace would be sufficient and your power would be made perfect in our weakness. And so, Father, come now. Come now, we so desperately need you. Lord, I ask that you would fill me afresh from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. May the words that I share be life-giving. May they not come from me, Lord. But truly, we need to hear from you, and that's me first. So may you just come and be glorified in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought about why... New Year's. We make New Year's resolutions. Why New Year's? Why not the 4th of July resolutions or President's Day resolutions or Thanksgiving resolutions? I actually think Thanksgiving probably makes sense. If you look at the list, I don't think I'd make it past five or six of them before dessert, let alone making it through Black Friday. So that wouldn't work at all. But seriously, New Year's is like the right time. It's the beginning of a new year. It's a new beginning. It seems like a natural break from one period of time to another and a time to reflect on the past and look forward to the future. The practice of making New Year's resolutions goes back 3,000 years to the Babylonians 
who would make promises to their gods that they would return borrowed objects and pay their debts. The practice has continued throughout the centuries amongst many religious traditions, including Christians who in the Middle Ages would reaffirm their chastity. That's a resolution I think that I can agree with, especially for my children. Of course, there is a very basic question here, and that is why do we make New Year's resolutions? Let's look at that list again, Skip, if you can. There we go. He's spending more time with family, seems nice, falling in love. Uh, Who doesn't want to fall in love? Help others with their dreams, and then we move on up the list. But what's interesting here is that the list in and of itself seems incredibly self-focused. It's pretty clear, though, that New Year's resolutions are about self. In some way, it's about creating a better you. And there's a whole industry that is tied up in being a better you. It's an industry that isn't just restricted to secular publications, but in fact, there's so-called Christian publications that are built on this notion as well. In fact, Joel Osteen, Skip, if you can put that up, wrote a book in 2010 called Becoming a Better You. Of course, this was a follow-up to his best-selling book, Your Best Life Now. In Becoming a Better You, Osteen presents a seven-step process to becoming a better person. Some of these are eerily reminiscent of our New Year's resolutions, and they include keep pressing forward, be positive towards yourself, develop better relationships, form better habits, and so on. The self-help industry goes, does, in fact, however, get one thing right. They recognize the source of our biggest problem. You. Well, it's me as well, but we are the problem. Put another way, my biggest problem stares back at me in the mirror every morning. And I hate to be the one to tell you this, but you are your biggest problem as well. Just ask the person sitting next to you, and I'm sure that they will agree with that very fact. We are incredibly selfish people. The word does speak at great length about selfishness and its sister, jealousy. Several weeks ago, Frank shared with us that we aren't to compare ourselves to others. The standard isn't my wife, my children, my neighbors, my co-workers. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Yet most of the resolutions we make are based upon us changing something within us that we don't like in comparison to somebody else. This person is thinner. This other person is more organized. Or they seem happier. And yet the self-help industry, including the Joel Osteens of this world, somehow managed to convince us that if I'm the problem, more of me is somehow the solution. That seems wrong. If I'm spending so much time concerned with myself, how is spending more time concerned with myself going to be the solution? The Bible puts it this way in James. Skip, you can put it up. Thanks. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every of every kind. Focusing on ourselves leads to disorder and evil. Paul says it beautifully in his letter to the Philippians in Philippians 2. 
do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Hmm. And Jesus, perhaps, in one of the most famous statements that he's ever made in John 15, puts it much more succinctly. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus defines selflessness as love. The most profound act of love is the most profound act of selflessness. When one regards others before oneself, love is the outcome. And we see this in the very act of sacrificial love by Christ himself. Paul states it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He died for everyone so that those who receive his life will no longer live for themselves, but instead they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So let's think about that list of New Year's resolutions once again. As we do, though, I want to take a look at an even more interesting list of New Year's resolutions. But this is the list of the top 10 most frequently broken New Year's resolutions. Skip. Number 10, drink less. Nine, volunteer. Be less stressed. Number seven, travel to new places. Six, spend more time with family. Five, get out of debt and save money. Four, eat healthier and diet. Number three, learn something new. Two, quit smoking. And one, lose weight. Okay, interesting how that list seems to mirror that of the New Year's resolutions. The fact is that 92% of all New Year's resolutions are broken. Even better, 25% of people who make New Year's resolutions don't get out of the first week's and 75 are broken within six months. So the question is, why bother? It doesn't work, and it just continues the focus on this ridiculous notion of self-improvement. And yet, here we are in church, and it's Sunday. So are resolutions biblical? Are there such thing as good resolutions? So I thought I'd start off here with something rather simple, and that is, can we define what a resolution is? The dictionary states it this way. It's a firm decision to do or not do something. Seems rather simple. Well, if we look at Lamentations 340, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Is this a resolution? Is it a decision to do or not do something? And I would say it does, and we're going to take a look at the heart of the scripture here. I want to look at a specific parable through this lens. In Luke 15, Jesus gives us perhaps the most famous famous parable of all, and that is the prodigal son. Skip, can you put it up? To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. We don't have a whole lot of time to get into this parable, and we could spend weeks 
on this parable. And so I'm just going to hit the highlights here. Let's start with the very fact that what the son was saying to his father is, I wish that you were dead. Because an inheritance, like an inheritance in today's day and age, is received when the parent or when the person who is giving you the inheritance dies. And so here this son is who says, I want to cash in my part of your estate. What he was saying is is that I'm not satisfied with the life that I have with you. I know better and I'm going to strike out on my own. He was seeking his better self. But I want you to not miss something here. His selfishness costs something. What the son was asking of his father was that he wanted his father's estate now. And it cost his father something. You see, his father had to sell a portion of his estate, his stuff, if you will, to give to his son. And so we really need to understand is that selfishness does cost something. It requires something of somebody else. Selfishness always demands. So let's look at the rest of the parable. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embracing and kissing him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Here this young man had sought his own way. His way had led to loss. We remember back in James 3, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and evil. This young man had an incredible amount of selfish ambition. The result was disorder and evil of every kind. Jesus is masterful in sharing this parable because while the specifics of this young man's life are limited, when we read this parable, our minds go back to our own tragic stories. The disorder of our own selfishness and jealousy in our lives. And yet here, this young man sits in the slop of his consequences. 
And the most amazing thing happens. Word says that he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. And he does something incredible. Skip, if you can put up Luke 15 again. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying. I will go home to my father. It's the most incredible statement. This young man took a look at his life and he recognized that his selfish ways and he sought a right spirit and he did what that demands. He returned to his father. Not only did he come to his senses recognizing the consequences of his selfishness and not only did he repent having a contrite heart, he made a resolution a firm commitment to do something. And what he resolved to do was to return to his father. He had no expectations of what his father would do upon seeing him that long way off. But what an incredible picture of the love of our heavenly father who desires for all of us to come to our senses, resolve to turn from our selfish ways and with a clean heart return to the Father who loves us so much that he will see us that long way off and run to us, embracing us in our brokenness and restoring us to right relationship with him. So why do New Year's resolutions fail? It's because we're focused on the wrong things. And this is the, ch- excuse me, this is the challenge for this year. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. We need to resolve daily and turn from our selfishness, taking up our cross and following Jesus. Daily, as in every day. Right now would be a good start, and it's tomorrow as well, and the day after that, it's not just on New Year's. And it's not about seeking self-improvement. It's not looking at others to determine how well we're doing. This morning, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Billy Graham speaking about New Year's resolutions. And this is what he says, and I quote, If I could make only one resolution, it would be this, that I might become more and more like Christ during the coming year. This, after all, is God's will for every one of his children. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every day we are tempted to forget God and live for ourselves, but God's will is for us to become more and more like his son. And this happens as we stay close to Christ and allow his spirit to change us and renew us from within. When we submit our hearts and lives to Christ, The Bible says we will be transformed into his likeness, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He goes on, what does it mean to be like Christ? First, it means to be like him in his behavior, 
rejecting sin, living pure and godly lives, and sharing his love with others. It also means to be like him in our character, in love and peace and patience and all the other fruits of the Spirit. Begin this new year as his challenge by making sure of your relationship with God. If you've never invited Christ to come into your life, do so this day. Then ask him to help you become more like Christ this year as you submit to his word and follow him every day. We fail to keep our resolutions because we seek to reach them in our own strength instead of with God's help. But we are spiritually and morally weak and will never be the people God wants us to be unless we turn to him for the help we need. The psalmist wrote, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. As we begin this new year, pause right now and ask God to show you what he wants to do in your life during this coming year. Resolve to grow closer to Christ every day and with the help of his Holy Spirit to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. End quote. Let's heed that call to follow Christ in our daily life not just as a New Year's resolution, not just as something that's going to help me, but knowing that the living God desires that deep relationship with you and with me. And that's a resolution that we can truly count on. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that your promises are true that your word is life. And Father, your will truly is that we become the likeness of your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for the incredible sacrifice, your faithfulness, your obedience to the will of the Father. You said on that very night, not my will, but yours. You came and you showed us the way with your obedience. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and you would give us a fresh faith. You would give us, Lord, the boldness and the courage to stand for who you are. Lord, I thank you for each person who is here this morning and I just ask that you would just move in a powerful way in their lives, that as they look to you, Lord, that they can see the incredible miracle of who you are and what you are doing in their lives. Father, we seek you in this day. We seek you, Lord, for this year. We seek you most of all for our lives. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.